0: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash loss That's plushcare.com slash loss plushcare.com slash loss Hey guys, quick thing.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in order now on the mcdonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus rewards registration required points only on menu items delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com
0: i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon. hello and welcome back to the chronicles of aguna the arsenal podcast part of the 90 min football network it's the canton and Simiu show we are back for our weekly crossover podcast myself and the guna talk tv's tom canton tom welcome back mate how you doing
1: yeah not bad not bad stay off so relatively chilled in comparison but i mean i've not got a car at the moment so i had to walk to the shopping centre, which, you know, usually a five-minute drive is now an hour <laughs> walk, which is, you know, it does change the day a little bit.
0: <laughs> D- don't you find, though, like, when you don't have a car, like, you don't... You, you really appreciate them after that. Like, I had mm-hmm. a period, when was it? Maybe a few months ago where we were sharing a car um, and it was a nightmare. It was an absolute Oh, really?
1: we're going from two cars to one car. So, you know, this is going to be interesting to see how
0: this goes. But it needed to happen because, I mean,
1: my... My car was a nightmare, <laughs> so I needed to get rid. Um But yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good.
0: I, I guess it'll be okay. When you have kids, Tom, that's when mm. the car sharing thing will become a problem. Because what your missus will do, and just a bit of pre-warning, is mm-hmm. that she'll blackmail you when you want to take the car into saying, but how am I going to get the kids here? What am I going to yeah. do if the kids need something, etc., etc.?" et cetera? Et cetera. And so then the
1: don't have yeah. Kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah or, or make yeah. sure you got another car when you do because uh, you would be shocked by the amount of ubers um mm. that i had to take when i've when i'm sitting there like sort of running the car yeah, as well yeah. mad yeah mad but it is what it is um tom this is a very very last minute show um but we decided that we wanted to have a chat today we we managed to uh, find the gap in the diary And we want to talk a little bit about the the performances against Chelsea and Man United. There's been a lot of positivity around Arsenal over the last few days, and rightly so, because we're right back in the hunt for a top four finish. We're back in pole position after Spurs' result at the weekend and, of course, our victory over Manchester United. But when I asked you what you wanted to talk about, you, you did mention that something about those two games has been bugging you. So the floor is yours. Um, (laughs) Go ahead and sort of kick us off.
1: Yeah, I mean, people say I'm one of the most optimistic Arsenal fans out there and I don't shy away from that tag at all. Um, But I'm worried that we weren't that good (laughs) in those two games. Do you know what I mean? We scored seven goals and... You know, I thought, the, I thought the United game was probably our worst defensive performance besides the 5-0 City game. Um, and offensively, I know we, we created some good things, but, you know, I just feel like both of those games could have gone so easily the other way. And, you know, it's those two wins were huge. And they've really built up my, you know, confidence in a way. But... It's just bugging me that, you know, we've got this game against West Ham and I don't want to get my optimism up too much because I'm concerned that those two results, you know, whilst they were amazing, they weren't necessarily encouraging. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, the, the results were, were what we wanted, but the performances weren't, I think yeah. it is, is the point. And, and I agree with that to a degree. I mean, I, I was at the Chelsea game on the Wednesday night and I remember sort of when we did end up going 3-2 up, um, still not being convinced that we were going to see the game out because of what we'd seen before that, right? We'd given away the yeah. goals very, very quickly. And that was irritating to to sort of score and then be pegged back and then score again, which should be sort of like, you know, okay, we now let's not make the same mistake again. We did it again. And then if you fast forward to the United game at the weekend, once again, um, you know, Arsenal... Go and score a second goal. You think that we're in cruise control. You think that we're on our way to what should be a, a pretty routine three points, and bang, we go and concede a silly goal at the other end, and make mm. it much more nervy and much more sort of, um, I guess, close as uh, close. Sorry, than it needed to be. Oh, what do you put that down to, though? Because we talk a lot, Tom, about inexperienced and 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 you know, mm. not enough know how and not enough kind of. Um, senior players in the group do you think that's a part of it or because or, to me it's not excusable to lose your concentration um sort of straight away after scoring a goal
1: yeah it's it's not excusable at all I think look I think having Tavares and Cedric as our starting fullbacks is certainly having a lot to do with it um and obviously since this international break we've now lost Partey and you know Tierney's gone so I think that that's big um I think that Enketia coming into the team has certainly added a lot more energy up top, and that's kind of solved that issue that we were starting to see bleed into the side with Lacazette, The Arsenal were really predictable in terms of how to defend against us. It was quite easy to defend defend against us because teams just worked us out. So I think for the last five games of the season, Eddie Nketiah is going to add some unpredictability about the way in which we attack and more movement to the way that we attack, which we definitely, definitely needed in the side. But defensively, it's just Every time a team attacks, I feel like, you know, there's a good chance we're going to concede. Um, and that's the worry, is that we'll come up against a West Ham team. Yes, they've got Europa League, and, you know, we'll come up against a lead side that are in a relegation scrap. But they're both teams that are capable of scoring goals. And, you know, they've scored plenty of goals this season. And the worry is, is that we will concede. And if we haven't scored first, we've, we tend to really struggle to turn results around. We're good at holding on to leads. But we're not so good at, you know, turning the result around in our favour. I think Wolves is one of the only examples of where we've done it this season. I'm, I'm trying to think of of another example of when we've turned around a scoreline. But Wolves is the only one that's really standing out to me at the moment. I, can you think of any off the top of your head? Because I'm really struggling. No,
0: no I, I can't. And I think that is obviously a concern for sure. Um, Let's just make it clear like we're not sitting here sort of moaning for no reason about what happened at Chelsea. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's just that thing that's in the back of your mind. I was actually quite encouraged, though, by the fact that Granit Xhaka spoke about it in one of his post-match interviews. I think it was Mm -hmm. after the United game. Do you feel better in the knowledge that we're at least aware of it? And does that give you confidence that something's being done to try and solve this issue?
1: Yes, um, because obviously the, the the Arsenal of the past, even the Arteta of the past has been quite ignorant at times to some of the mistakes we've made. And I think he's certainly matured and grown as a manager to accept the mistakes, especially in the transfer market, not just on the pitch as well, and, and turn that around. So that's going to be big. I think the biggest thing to set on my nerves, and a lot of people in the chat box are pointing out, is Tommy Tomiyasu coming back. Um, him being there will set all the defensive side of things. We'll have four of our five starters you know, in the back five, which is really important for us. Ramsdale as well, I mean, he's been a little bit strange of late. I don't know if you've noticed it. Since he came back from that hip injury, he's been less assured. Um, and some there's been a few questionable like passes out from the back, questionable um, goals being conceded. Like the Ronaldo one, I know the Ronaldo one was a really good finish. But there was some uncertainty about the way Ramsdale approached that goal. Um, that You know, maybe in the first three, four months of the season, we would have dealt with it better. So that's a concern but I think that maybe having two of your four out in front of you does leave you a little bit more uncertain about how you're going to be dealing with it and when it's Tavares and Gabriel who is a partnership hasn't you know been the most solid of pairings it's been a defense. car crash has not it Let's yeah, be honest. it has yeah to be polite it's, <laughs> it's been a car crash um but I think that yeah Tommy coming back hopefully will really benefit us Parte being out is a pain but I think El Elneny coming into the team has really definitely helped with that and Lekonga I know in the, the live show I said that I would be tempted to bring the Conga back in for some of the games like against Leeds where we need to be a little bit more, you know, progressive. But I think you were right in what you said on Thursday about, you know, we just need that foundation and that base. And I think that'll help us going forwards. Do you I mean do you know what I'm saying there about kind of there's this worry that the West Ham game will come round, will concede and we, our ideas will be, you know, we, we just won't have any because when we go behind, we kind of struggle.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the thing I take sort of encouragement from going into the West Ham game is their involvement in the Europa League, though. Mm. Um, obviously, they've got that huge game on Thursday night, first leg um, at home to Eintracht Frankfurt. And then, obviously, the following Thursday, they go away. And, you know, if I were David Moyes now, you know, they've had a couple of really good seasons in the Premier League. If I were him, I'd I'd have all my eggs firmly placed Mm -hmm. in the Europa League basket, and I'd be wanting to go on and win that competition. We also know that they've got uh, no centre-halves available. Of course, Craig Dawson will be suspended, who was the last natural centre-back they had available. Um, So he's not available in that game either. So that, the fact that they are probably going to rotate and the fact that we really need this um, Mm -hmm. kind of makes me feel quietly confident that we can go there and get a result. But I think what people need to remember as well is that we don't need to win every single game between now and the end of the season. We just need to be better than Spurs. It's not about being flawless. It's about being better than them. And what I don't want to see is I don't want to see us pick up a draw, for example, away at West Ham, which is under normal circumstances, a very respectable result. Mm. And then everybody sort of losing their minds and that negative cloud coming back on top of us. So I think it's really, really important that, you know, we, we're we realistic about where this side are at. And I think that you're right to m- mention the performances against Chelsea because uh, Chelsea and United, because actually they reminded me, although we got the victories and we came away and it was happy days and nobody talks about the negative when you win, they mm-hmm. were reminders, weren't they, of how much weaker this side is with a few absences. Agree with you on Tommy Asu coming back into the side I think that helps us massively. And I think the security he gives us allows Tavares to push further up on the left-hand side in the way that Tierney did at the start of the season, mm-hmm. which just means that um, he's more in his comfort zone because he's when he's going forward, you don't really know what you're going to get from him. You know, he's got the ability to take on players to get into really strong positions. He will sky one over the top of the crossbar with his right foot where he just completely snatches at it. Like he did on Saturday, but he might pop up and get you a goal as well, the way he did on Saturday. So it's um, it's much more comfortable for me watching him play in that attacking area, mm. more so than as a defender. And I um, when he shoots, <laughs> yeah, only time. yeah, yeah, exactly that. But I think that Tommy <laughs> asu's return certainly helps that. Um, what have you made of of the whole Eddie and Kettia thing? Because I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans on social media sort of since. Um, He followed up the performance at Chelsea with a decent performance against United. It wasn't amazing, but he still worked well, I thought. He got into some good positions. Has your opinion on his future and and whether Arsenal should be bending over backwards to keep him changed at all?
1: No, um, not really, to be honest. I think that the chance he had that he spanked straight at De Gea is the example, is that's the moment that tells you the difference between Nketiah and us having that brilliant number nine that takes nine out of the 10 chances like that that are put on a plate to him. Whereas Nketiah, I feel in those moments, doesn't take as many of the opportunities when they're put to him because... I think it was a bit where the, the composure kind of left him. Um, he should have slotted it in the bottom left-hand corner and, and just went for power and, and hoped. And, and that's not what we want, you know, from a striker in the biggest circumstances, which hopefully we will be in next season if we get to back to the Champions League. And Ketia is a, an okay forward. He's, I don't think he's ever going to be or ever has been an Arsenal, you know, a, a good enough to be Arsenal's number nine Um I think he's someone that came through the ranks that we should have probably financially been a bit cleverer with, um, similar to how we have been with like Joe Willock and Alex Awobi. I think we could have gained a bit like we did with them from him if we'd have managed his situation better. Um, but no, I, it hasn't changed my mind. I don't think it will. I don't think anything can change. I think he could score in the next four or five games, and I don't think my mind would change about him. Um, because I just think it's the right moment to move on and move on to that next level of of forward. Are you the same?
0: Yeah, I I think we need to we need to bring in a, a top level striker. I think that's sort of been clear for a long long time and and also you know Eddie and I don't know if did you see the beautiful game interview that he did? Mm-hmm. I thought he spoke really really well. I actually watched that and started to feel a little bit sympathetic towards him because the fact that he's been patient and the fact that he's Mm -hmm. given it time and and he obviously talks, what really put it into context for me was when he said that he signed a five-year contract and he started like 31 times or something Mm -hmm. for Arsenal in that period. And that really kind of made me feel for him because Mm. you've obviously been kept here on the pretense that you're going to play and then you're not playing. Mm -hmm. I can understand why that's upsetting, why that's demoralising, why that's hard to take. He then talked a little bit, didn't he, about the lead spell new contract that Arsenal want a handsome wage and be happy to sit around and pick up the paycheck. It's clear that's not what Eddie Nketiah wants. But as I say, I, I don't think he's at that level. I agree with you. And I think that the club aren't in a position to promise him what he's looking for with regards to game time. Maybe money-wise, they can make it work. I'm sure they can mm-hmm. make it work. But if you can't give him what he wants from a game time perspective, then he'd almost be cheating himself. Um, as well as cheating the club by staying. So, yeah, I think it's probably time for him to go. What have you made of Gabriel Jesus being linked? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's typical, wasn't it? The story broke and then he goes and bangs four uh, in the Premier League at the weekend. Is he somebody that you would be a big fan of? Because he's somebody that I like. But when I was talking about who I'd like us to sign, he never really crossed my mind as a viable option. Now that it seems he is a viable option, would you be open to the idea of him joining Arsenal?
1: I I genuinely think it would be a brilliant signing. Um, I think it's exactly the kind of signing that we need to be looking at at targeting. Um, Which is why I was a bit surprised to see as much opposition as I did. I think in the fallout from it, on on the day that he was first linked, I think there was a lot of you know casting that idea aside you know he's, he's a backup of City do we want him and then actually in the, the week or the days following I think that he's actually grown a lot stronger in the minds of, of Arsenal fans maybe because the deal looks as likely as, as it does now then you know we're, we're coming to terms with it but Arsenal need to be looking at players and I always say to this I'm that the category to sign for Arsenal needs to be a player that would challenge for a place in Liverpool and, and City's team. You know, a starting player for Arsenal from this point forwards needs to be a player that would challenge in the City and Liverpool teams if we want to close the gap. That has to be the... That has to be the way in which we categorise a player being good enough to sign for Arsenal right now in the context of where they are. If obviously they're a young player, it's different. But, you know, a player that we're looking to sign and start for this team week in, week out, which I believe Jesus would, you know, that he's good enough. If you're the guy that's leaving because the person that's replacing you is Erling Haaland, you know... It sounds like a really lazy comparison because it doesn't take into account anything to do with player quality. But the only reason that Pep Guardiola is open to Jesus leaving is because that Haaland is coming in. I believe if it was any other forwards, you know, he would be looking to keep hold of him because he really likes him. He really likes Jesus. And the issue for Jesus, and the issue for City, is that I think they know he wants to play more regularly. And if Haaland comes in, they aren't going to rotate Haaland like they rotate every other player. He will yeah. play every single game um, unless he's injured or if they need to rest him. He will play pretty much every single game. Um, even that Jack Grealish spending 100 million on him, he's in a position that doesn't guarantee you a start every game because of the amount of talent in Foden and Mahrez and Bernardo Silva and you know all these other players that they've got that can play that role. So... Jesus is good enough to start for Man City and does start for Man City plenty and has got over 200 Premier League appearances playing for City and three Premier League titles. Why on earth would we turn our noses up at that? I, you know, I think it would be an absolutely brilliant move for us to do.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And if we're to believe the rumours and reports that are doing the rounds, it seems that he'd be available at a fairly reasonable price as well. And, and you know, mm. why wouldn't Arsenal try to take advantage of that? We're-
1: where does he kind of rank for you in regards? To, so you think about, I did a piece this morning for FL about like the 10 strikers that we've been linked to and where I'd rank them. He, I think he's third on my ranking list. Behind I think Ozumen and Schick are above him. Um, so who would be, where would he kind of rank? I put him one above Nunez. Nunez was fourth on my list.
0: Yeah, I'd put him above Nunez as well. Um, as I said to you, for me, he wasn't in my thinking, um, mm. sort of over the last few months when we've been talking about it because I wasn't sure that it was doable I wasn't sure it was a deal we could do there was a part of me that always believed and and there's still a tiny bit of um of me that thinks that Haaland might end up at Bayern Munich really? um, yeah there's, there's still this little nagging voice in the back of my head that says that Haaland could end up at Bayern Munich now I know we've heard to the contrary, recently that he could be on his way to City and stuff, and and maybe that will be the case. But I guess I never really thought about it. I mean, I never really thought about Jesus being an option. I mean, for us, this this window. Um, now that he is, then yeah, he, he for me he slots in there above Darwin Nunez because he's got um, a proven track record here, which I always say isn't the be all and end all, but it is a thing, and it's something mm-hmm. that you should consider. I don't know that I would put Aussie men ahead of him, um, and the reason is, and, and we were having a conversation about this earlier on on a show that we did. I feel like there are a lot of players in the Serie whose value is sort of overblown because mm-hmm. of how they are physically. Now that can be size, that can be power, that can be pace, whatever. But I think in a league where the physical side of the game is is lacking a little bit, and it is in comparison to the Premier League, I think that we look at some of these players and we think they're world beaters here because they're quicker, because they're stronger, because they've got that ability to get in behind and, and run onto chan, run into channels and mm-hmm. get onto loose balls. And I think when they come to the Premier League, all of a sudden that is is leveled out and it's no longer as much of an advantage as it was... In the Serie A, for example. And I do feel like that's the case with Ozymen to a degree. Like, I do like him. Mm. um, And I do think he's a good striker. And it would be disingenuous of me to ignore all the other qualities that he has. But I don't know that he stands out as much in the Premier League. And and I think we've spoken about this before. I don't believe that Aurelio Di Laurentiis would allow that deal to happen Mm. without taking a huge sum of money, which for me just doesn't feel worth it.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying. That the argument back would be that he came from Liga, which characteristically is a very physical league, um, and he, you know, he was getting into double figures at 20 years of age um, for Lille. So, you know, I think there is a, as a there is a counter argument, but I take what you're saying. The reason why I put him ahead of Jesus is because he's more of the natural number nine for me. Like Jesus, I look at as someone who can play number nine, but not as your stereotypical player. And actually, I think that if... I think of the two, like you could get both of them, and they would contrast quite nicely, because you know whilst Jesus is a lot more creative, can dip into the space like Lacazette, Lacazette does, can you know um, skew wide at times and, and create and, and do those drag bats, get on the end of passes. Ozemén, as you know, you know is someone who's more of your natural number nine, plays off the last defender, can get played in behind, and is brilliant at doing that. But also you know good movement in the box, a good poacher of a finisher as well when he needs to be, and has got more physical presence as well than than jesus does um he's not you know amazing aerially, but i think it's part of his game that he can improve on and certainly an area that is better than what we currently have um with with what he can bring to the team so i think both of them as, as a tandem would be a really good couple of signings but yeah he's going to cost easily like 80 odd million euros if you want to sign him so jesus for which i find shocking 30 million euros is being like the touted figure i think he's such a bargain and apparently they don't even want it all up front which is yeah another huge bonus too
0: Arteta's connections man Arteta's Mm. connections do
1: you think that's one of the reasons that makes it another attractive bit of business because he was and he's praised Arteta in the past as well for you know being so good from a coaching point of view
0: yeah I, I do think it helps and I think that um, at a time where we've, you know, we've spoken so much, haven't we, about culture, about the need. We can't for, get rid of the business. Uh...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, we, we, we talk about these things over and over again. And I think that it's clear in the recruitment that we did last summer that it wasn't just about ability. It was about mentality. It was about attitude. It was about bringing people in that were really engaged and mm. um, that were going to be really engaged and that were going to help you achieve the objectives. And I think that in Gabriel Jesus, Mikel Arteta, if you look at it the other way around, so obviously the positive Mm -hmm. is that Jesus knows Arteta, knows what he's like to work with and may be attracted by that proposition. But if you flip it the other way around, Arteta knows exactly what he's about, knows whether he'd be a good character into the squad, knows that he's a good trainer, knows that he works hard um, and knows all of his qualities and probably Mm -hmm. is in a place where he won't need to spend time watching him on the training ground trying to figure him out and figure out how he can best slot into what we already yeah. have. He'll be someone who he knows already and I think if we do make this move and if we do go and bring him in it will be one that's done from a position of of education I guess a place of real strong knowledge and that can only be a good thing right we've seen it over the years a lot of top managers have gone around and taken sort of similar or sometimes the same players Mm -hmm. to different clubs with them because they know what they're getting. And if you know what someone's bringing and you know how to extract that out of them, that's how you get instant impact. And I think that 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 will be a really sort of big factor in Mikel Arteta's eyes and and if Arsenal do move to sign the player. Um, Mm -hmm. You're not buying into the whole... Odegaard's comments around Haaland then no. I, I'm not <laughs> no, no. but there has been a lot of that today on yeah
1: Alison Bender did the interview who and used to do she used to work with us at 101 Great Goals Um, mm-hmm. and she uh, I watched I watched her video that she put up on, I think it was LinkedIn, um, that I watched, and you know she, you can see see her asking the question about I know that how words could be twisted and stuff, and I don't want to yeah. you know, put this to you and things like that, and you know he was just you know he was just making a quip, he was just making a joke, that's all it was, but obviously you know. Everyone's jumped in the background because all we've been saying is, you know, Oh, Erdegard could, you know, have a have a word in his ear. What I would say is that, you know, I always I've always said if we get Champions League football, we should absolutely activate the release clause, like, and just throw our hat into the ring. There's nothing wrong with us doing that. Um, if we don't get him, it's not the end of the world. You know, there are other players, and he is one of those players that you imagine that that will be sorted out very early on during the window. So, yeah, I don't see why there's there's no point in us not trying um but I also think that people sometimes underestimate how long it takes to do transfers and like yep. the Jesus um situation has been bubbling away since November we found out um recently like it's they they've been having representatives have been having discussions with Jesus since November about a move to Arsenal it takes so much groundwork to do these deals and when we get like when journalists hear like the little things and we get the exclusives and we put them out um, and you see, like Charles or Chris um, Wheatley and Watts, of course, put out their stuff um, and drop something. There, the information they will get is when the agent or the source at the club that they have is comfortable with that information. You know, being a little bit more public about that. Sometimes it helps speed the processes along. Sometimes it helps with you know pressurizing the players or the clubs to you know making their mind up and get kind of things across the line. That's why information does get out. So I. I am ex- I would give this a 9 out of 10 in terms of likelihood of happening at this stage because it's got all the hallmarks of a deal that I think will happen. It's only going to now be between the clubs from I mean from what we we've heard it sounds like Jesus is, you know, absolutely sold on coming to Arsenal. So it's just going to be on sorting out the the fee with Man City and the structure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um and it's interesting you say that about how long transfers can take because I'm very much of the same opinion and The the analogy I always use is, if you think about how long it can take to sell a house, which goes for what three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand, how how much work has to go into a purchase, how much due diligence has to go into a purchase that's worth thirty million, like it it isn't something that you can just. It's the curse of
1: video games, unfortunately. That's always put. It is the curse of Football Manager and FIFA and. You know, just buy him, just buy this guy. Look, he's worth it. And one of my pep hates is uh, and I'm guilty of it as well because I've done it back in the days, where you see the lists of like players signed and the values next to them, how much you've spent, and the list of players you'd sell and the values next to them and look, I've got all this money left over, look, I could run Arsenal, like and you're like, it just doesn't work that way.
0: So No, exactly. It's not that simple, is it? Um, We're going to take some of your questions and thoughts for the last uh, 10 or so minutes of the show. So start chucking them in the chat box and we'll get through as many as we possibly can. Just a quick reminder to head over to Tom's uh, channel, the Guna Talk TV. The link is in the description. Make sure you click on it. Get over there and subscribe if you haven't already and leave a like on this video. Uh, They are very, very much appreciated. Um, Okay, get some of your thoughts in, get some of your questions in. I'm going to pick out a couple that I favorited somewhere along the line. Um, why is my favourite tab? Not I was going to
1: say you've got a favourite
0: tab. <laughs> yeah, have you not seen that thing where you can hit the stars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, used it. Roger, you started using
1: it recently. It's good.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's, it's um, but yeah, I'm clicking on it and it's not doing anything. Okay, weird. Um, lots of people sort of agreeing with us on the the performance though uh, against uh, sort of Manchester United in particular. Mm what just before we jump into the questions why do you think the Ma- i know the manchester united one was worse it was definitely worse but with chelsea i never felt like chelsea after we scored the third were a threat but with man united right from the beginning of that game mm-hmm. i felt like they were dangerous there was even a couple of corners right in the early stages of the game where nothing came of them but they were the ones getting their heads to it they were the ones getting there first so is it important though that we differentiate like, although the Chelsea performance had bad yeah. moments, the United one as a whole was much worse, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, I also think that Man United were better than Chelsea. Um, so you know, I think that there's that yeah. involved in in the context of the two games as well. And they, I mean, Ronaldo being up top for them is always going to be a threat, whereas Chelsea's striker situation is a nightmare. And they started with Lukaku, of course, who's been you know so bad um, this season. So, yeah, I think there's a context to be applied regarding the opposition and their own performances. But, you know, th- what you would say is that we made some really good opportunities in both games uh, from open play. And I think we did that against Brighton and Southampton. Look, we've we've played the games against Brighton and Southampton exactly how we played them and won those types of games comfortably. You know, we were really unlucky in those two games. Like I think the Martinelli goal should have stood because they couldn't get a you know, an accurate representation of the offside line and it wasn't a clear and obvious error in that sense, so it should have stood. And you know, we'd probably go on to win that game and then go into the Southampton game with a lot more vigour and comfortability about things. So I think that the Southampton game, you know, we've we've had 20 shots on goal before. Well, not on goal, but, you know, 20 shots attempted and scored three or four. So it's, I agree with Arteta's assessment after the game, even though it's frustrating to hear that, you know, how we didn't win that game three or four nil, you know, it was mad.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, a few hellos, a uh, big hello to Lin, uh, who was over at the Hippodrome uh, with us on Thursday. Hope you're well, Lin. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, Clockend Seb asks, why has the Sterling talk gone quiet was that ever really on the cards in your opinion
1: i don't think so uh i would have taken him uh absolutely but i think it was just a contract one of those contract things you know where he's a bit unsettled at, at city and you know the links start coming out so i think there was probably chats and you know inquiries made but i don't think anything more to be honest yeah. so that's why it's gone quiet
0: i think so too um this is an interesting question amira says hi guys if we do get top four at spurs one game at a time, though he makes sure he puts that in. Do you see Arteta possibly giving Leno one last game at the Emirates versus Everton, or would that just scream he's leaving in the summer? I don't know if I'd want to mess around with a team on the, if there's something still to play for.
1: If there's nothing to play for on the final day, we're against Everton. He's rotating because it's Everton. You know he's got his his links um, to Everton. He Good will point. rotate. Good he point. will rotate without a shadow of a doubt. He will give chances to Amari Hutchinson. You know, he will rotate heavily. Um he won't want Everton to go down. If if he can control he has any control over it. I know it sounds like we're throwing a game, but it doesn't matter. If you know if because if we if we win the next two games and Spurs drop points against either of Leicester or Liverpool, if we win the North London derby, top four's ours. It's that, you know, it could happen that soon, and the last two games won't matter. So and that's a big if, of course, because we've got to win two games and then beat Spurs. So you've got to win our next three games for that to happen and rely on Spurs dropping points in the next um, two. So it's a tough one. But, yeah, he will absolutely rotate. Um, but they might already be down, as Rydog says in the chat, by that point. So who knows? I don't think they will be. I think it will. I think the relegation battle will go to the final game of the season. Um, so we'll have to wait and see.
0: Interesting stuff. I didn't think of that, the whole Everton after yeah. air connection. It's yeah, a good yeah. point. Uh, Fatality DMB says uh, assuming the likes of Gwenduzi, maitland nas Bellerin, and maybe even Pepe are sold. How many players do we need to add to our squad for next season with European football? So how many sort of incomings would you would you say is a is a good win
1: I think I said five. Um Two forwards, a wide forwards, a central midfielder and a versatile fullback were my five. And by like versatile, I mean like your Jochen Mahlers style of, you know, that can play on either side. Your Timothy Castanhas, those types of of players. I think that that would be really useful for us. And I'd move Cedric on if we got one of those types in. Um,
0: yeah, that's probably the way I would approach it. Cool. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how many players we need because... <laughs> I'm in this weird place where, like, I know we need depth, and I know we need bodies, and I know we need numbers, but I don't want us to just bring in numbers. No, Like no. everyone's saying, they want two strikers, and I'd love two strikers, but if we could get one game-changing striker that takes us up to the next level, I'd prefer that. You think as Jesus opposed is to is that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think he has the potential to be that. Yeah. yeah. But is he that today? I'm not sure. And, and that's where I'm like a little bit conflicted here. I'm going to have to do a lot of thinking and soul searching around this uh, yeah. going into the summer because we're just going to be bombarded with transfer talk, aren't we? Yep. Especially with no football. Yeah, um, it's
1: going to be exciting. 8 a.m. every day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep, 8 a.m. every day. There you go. Um, Spaceman Trooper says, what are your thoughts on Xhaka's role next season? I've heard a lot of talk that he won't accept the squad role. This doesn't compute with the character we see um, on the pitch though. So what's your take on his role? Would you expect him to throw his toys out the pram if Arsenal brought in another midfield player?
1: No, that 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 line is, is completely fan driven. Um, that, you know, Xhaka won't accept a squad role is, is completely fan orientated. There's nothing that's ever come out from him, from the club, from any sources close to the player that suggests that Xhaka wouldn't be happy not happy but you know wouldn't be comfortable competing for his place let's not call it you know backup or a squad role I don't think Arteta will ever see Xhaka as just a squad player he will see Xhaka as a player that is a comfortable starter for him and he can rely upon him when he's called on it's just we need to add competition into the team and he was at a Manchester City team that I don't think you know Manchester City don't have Really, beyond, you know, Fernandinho, who's 30 or 35 odd, they don't really have squad players. They have starters all over the pitch who sit on the bench and they're still starters. They're not squad players. Gundogan is not a squad player and he's in his early 30s. He is a starter still. He is a world-class central midfielder. So, you know, that's what we need to get to. So I don't buy into this rhetoric of, you know, Jacques is not going to be okay being on the bench. Who should be? Whoever is okay being on the bench, it's a a weird thing. I know El Neni is the obvious example, but it's slightly different with him because he genuinely is just happy to be at the club. But eventually, we will move on from players like El Neni and we won't have players that are just happy to be there. But at the moment, whilst we're trying to add marquee signings throughout the team, you know, we can afford to have an El Neni in the squad, um, which is why I would actually extend him for another year. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you got to think as well like i don't think these players if we had european football and and have the opportunity still to play once a week would be um sort of as as disengaged as as some people are suggesting i think that actually with the way the fixture schedules are nowadays and the fact that next season is a really weird season with a world cup smack bang in the middle of it Mm -hmm. actually a lot of these players i think would actually prefer to be part of a squad. So I agree with you. I don't think it's as big a deal. Would you Um,
1: let the World Cup infer your transfer business? Like if you could sign someone that's not going to the World Cup, would that, and say they were of kind of a similar level to another player that was going to the World Cup, would that affect how you viewed
0: them? uh, I, I, I don't know. It's difficult because where this situation differs from normally, like, okay, every time there's a tournament in the summer, Your player has the potential to go off to that tournament and the best players do and come back with an injury that keeps them out for a long period in the season. So you can't completely mitigate that risk altogether. But for it to happen slap bang in the middle of the season and Mm. then you don't have any time really to do an awful lot about it, I think it's because then you go into transfer window, sort of, or sorry, the January transfer window, don't Mm. you? I think they're extending the that
1: Are they, or delaying. I don't know what they're doing with the January window. I think it's slightly, I don't know if it's changing in 2020. It's,
0: it's whatever it is, whatever they do, it, that window, that mid-season window is always a pain in the backside. And it doesn't give you any opportunity to sort of rectify any problems that you might have picked up. I think I'd think about it and I'd probably prefer to take players that aren't going to be involved in it. But it's the trade off, isn't it? You want the best players. The likelihood mm. is they're going to be involved at the World Cup.
1: Yeah. I, it's not like the AFCON, where obviously that takes place and the club season's continuing on. Yeah. Obviously everything's stopping. So maybe it would, but there's the chance of injury and, you know, the players coming back fatigued. So I don't know if it was, if say it was between, um, who are the African teams that have qualified? Have Nigeria qualified for the World Cup? Um,
0: no, Ghana beat them, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah,
1: so if it was, so I mean, Ozimen for instance, you know, isn't going to be going. Um, yeah. If that, if it was then between him and Nunez, who I think Uruguay have qualified, have they not? So um, that might affect how people think about it. So yeah, yeah, interesting.
0: Uh, we'll take this one. Final question uh, from Seb: Can you see the likes of Patino, Hutchinson, etc., being given a chance next season, or have they been there to make up the numbers with no real belief? they're ready to do a job?
1: Um, I don't... Th- I think Hutchinson, if he stays, because we've actually got to sign to get a new contract if we want him to stay. Um, I think he expires at the end of the season. Um, I think he does. Either that or it's next season. But he's only got like a year or less uh, on his contract. So if he stays, I think he'll go out on loan. I think he'll be one of those that goes out on loan. We, I think he's one of those who go out abroad, though. I don't see him as like a you know, lower league, English league type player. I see him as like, you know, going to the Eredivisie or the or the Bundesliga. That's where I see Hutchinson going if he does. I don't see him really fitting in at a lower league English club. Um Pitino, I think will be gradually integrated into the squads. We'll certainly be seeing him play league cup games uh with the senior team a lot more often. Um but yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um I think that now if we get Champions League football, you know, those chances for those youngsters become so much less. Pre-season will be huge for them and you know, put in their their audition, basically. What do you
0: think? I don't really know. I, I, I don't really know an awful lot about the level of those players at this moment in time. Mm. Um, I am. I, I've got to be honest. I, I'm really bad at sort of keeping across mm. how those players are performing at, at youth level, and obviously the fact that they've been involved uh, in match day squads of late has obviously limited them their their sort of exposure to that football. So it's a bit of a, a difficult situation to assess because. You want them involved with the first team. You want them on the bench here and there. But then that takes them away from their actual bread and butter, which is playing mm-hmm. football sort of in the lower age groups week in, week out. So it's really difficult to get an assessment on them. What I will say is that I looked at Patino in that game at Nottingham Forest and I just didn't feel like It was a difficult game was it? and it was under difficult circumstances. And I'm not going to sort of penalise him for that. But he just didn't look ready to me.
1: That wasn't the Patino I'd watched a lot of in the under twenty threes. He was very different. He was very exposed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't I don't think I don't think you should look at that performance as a you know, as as what you'd expect from him. He's like yeah, watch he's the like, highlights of the game for the Man United under twenty threes. I think yeah. they've gone up. That he's I think someone put a compilation of him against Man United for the under twenty threes. That that shows you kind of how good he is.
0: Yeah, and it's not that like I I saw that and thought, Oh, this guy's instantly a bad player, but it just gave me a bit of a sort of grounding in terms of, well, he's probably still not ready for this level yet. doesn't mean he's Mm -hmm. not got lots of quality, but, you know, maybe a a Carabao Cup appearance here and there next season, depending on who we draw, depending on how the the sort of competition pans out. But anything more than that at the moment, I I don't think he's ready for. And I don't think that... People talk about throwing players in at the deep end. I actually think that sometimes you can do that too soon and it can be counterproductive Mm -hmm. because not everybody's got the the sort of heads head strength, if you like to go into a game, be really, really sort of out of your depth and then bounce back from that and take the learns away from it. So um, yeah, let's see. Um, We're going to leave it there, Tom, um, just because we're, we're running short of time. Uh, But it's been uh, great chatting as always. Uh, Just remind people again, how they can find your channel, how they can keep across all the brilliant work you do over at Football London.
1: Thanks, mate. Yeah, um, always a pleasure. You can find me at the Gooners Talk. Just type it in on YouTube. It'll come up. And uh, we do a show every morning at 8 a.m. And if you want to check out the written work, we do it at football.london um, with some recognisable faces like Chris Wheatley and Kai Karnak. So do go and check out our stuff over there and the Arsenal Way, of course, too, which is our video content channel as well
0: brilliant stuff make sure you do get over there and check it all out make sure you're subscribed to this channel make sure you're subscribed to the guna talk tv the link is in the description and leave a like on the video we'll be back very very soon with more arsenal and football related content until next time take care goodbye
1: i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon. It's the 90 plus minute all your mates are around and you've got a McNugget's share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mate's already got booked for a double dip in, and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfection. order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. delivery you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com